This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we're going to answer all of your health questions today. Uh, Today's a show I always look forward to. Uh, My guest who will be in the studio with us will be Dr. Tanya Bilchik. Dr. Bilchik is the medical director of the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center, and uh, she's going to talk about headaches and migraine. I'm going to give the phone numbers now so everybody has them, and I'll give them repeatedly because we always get good questions. And the phone numbers here are 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. That's 966-WTIC. If you don't want to come on the air, you can email me at info at alessimd.com. We're coming up tonight on Daylight Savings Time. And it's pretty interesting because with daylight savings time, it, it and it should be really daylight saving time. Everybody – and we tend to put the plural on the end of that word. But in daylight saving time, we're trying to save daylight. What we're really doing is throwing off our body's physiology. Just think about it. There's a circadian rhythm to how the body works when we go to sleep, when we wake up. It's pretty interesting. And that actually goes down to a cellular level. So it's not just our psyche, not just the brain. Every cell has this circadian rhythm. And sleep is something we need to kind of wash away some of the toxic byproducts in our our body. So sleep is something so crucial to how we function during the day. So it's not surprising that when we go to daylight saving time, we see more Workplace injuries, we see diminished productivity, more traffic accidents, more heart attacks, and more mood disorders. So it's interesting that everybody gets excited. We're going to have more hours of daylight, but we're really wreaking havoc on the human body. I think it's something we have to reconsider in this country. Um, You know, originally we did it because we were going to save energy and we'd have more daylight, less heating. That's never proven to be the case. But what has proven to be the case is that it's dangerous. So how do you avoid these things? you got to start getting to bed earlier. Start trying to change your circadian rhythm, which is very, very difficult to do. So again, be very mindful that these things may start occurring as you switch over to daylight saving time. This day in medicine, March 10th, 1628, Dr. Marcello Malpighi was born. Dr. Malpighi was an Italian anatomist and microscopist. He's also the father of microscopic anatomy, histology, and embryology. He was at the University of Bologna, and there are so many things named for Professor Malpighi, and he just did a tremendous job. So we remember him today, uh, March 10th, 1628, when he was born. Another item I wanted to talk a little bit about was my article this week in the Norwich Bulletin was about cervical stenosis. This is that tightening around the spinal cord in your neck. 
And the reason this comes up is it's often a situation in athletes, particularly football players, when they tackle. If they tackle with their head down, they may suddenly develop a lot of numbness and weakness in all their extremities. Fortunately, in many cases, this clears up within minutes or days. But when you then x-ray the spine, you'll find that the canal that the spinal cord passes through is narrowed, something that they were born with. So again, it's one of the things where we can avoid further injury, avoiding an athlete from becoming quadriplegic. And surgery can be done for that, but often uh, we see that in an amateur athlete who basically needs to change what sport they do uh, because high-velocity collision sports can lead to these paralytic problems. Again, it's something we try to teach young athletes is to tackle with their head up. The reason is because if the neck is curved, it will not have to absorb all of the pressure directly, this axial loading that can cause swelling of the spine and subsequently compression of the spinal cord at the cervical level. And if you want to get more information, just get over to the Norwich Bulletin and you'll see my column that was published this Wednesday. Hip fractures in women. A recent report in Reuters claims that they looked at 2 million women over the age, equal to or over the age of 65. And they looked at insurance claims from 2002 to 2015. What was interesting was from 2002 to 2012, there was a decline in hip fractures in women, equal to or over the age of 65. The numbers were flat for 2013. But for 2014 and 2015, there was a rise. So a couple of reasons that they've looked at for this potential rise. One was the recommendation now for having a DEXA, a DXA scan, which is a very sensitive test for osteoporosis. So the recommendation is for women over the age of 65. But women who have risk factors for osteoporosis, a family history, low calcium levels, should have it before age 65. We think there's this increase in hip fractures for two reasons. One, more women have been afraid of the side effects of the medications that help fight osteoporosis and in thus so have not taken the medication and have led to these fractures. And also because of fewer women getting DEXA scans, either because of insurance coverage, the expense of it, or these other recommendations. So the way to solve this problem is talk to your primary care doctor and find out about if you're a candidate to have a scan and further investigate osteoporosis. Because with these hip fractures, okay, it can lead to really becoming much more disabled, not being able to work, altering your gait. So, and obviously a surgery. It's also particularly important for women who are obese, which makes the surgery much more difficult. So from that standpoint, it's important to get a DEXA scan, be mindful of a diagnosis of osteoporosis. One more sports topic that came up this week. The captain of the Fiorentina, the Florence soccer team, was found dead at the age of 31 before a match. 
It's a terrible situation. Um, this young man is believed to have died of cardiac disease. It's ironic because we don't associate cardiac disease with an athlete, especially a high-level athlete in soccer. What's even more surprising is that Italian soccer has the strictest screening for soccer players from the standpoint of cardiology. They do stress echocardiograms in every athlete at a high level. So obviously in this case, in this player, despite these aggressive testing, all this aggressive echocardiogram, stress echo in everybody, there still was coronary artery disease that resulted in his death. And that's what we found in the United States is that a lot of this screening doesn't help. It doesn't give you enough of an indication to avoid sudden death in many cases. So with that, we're kind of back to the drawing board on this. It is very controversial as to whether or not we need to do more intense screening of all athletes. In basketball, we do it. Why? Because many basketball players who are tall have Marfan's disease, and they don't know it, and can lead to cardiac complications. Does it help us screen it out? We're not sure yet, and that study's still being done. So with that, we have a lot more to learn. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Tanya Bilchik from the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. That's Rod Stewart, who will be at the Mohegan Sun Arena on March 24th. There are going to be a bunch of people there in between. Uh, Cirque is there tonight. Uh, Judas Priest later in the week. Uh, I, I don't know where they've been. Uh, but Rod Stewart is out there and will be there on March 24th. So if you'd like to, get tickets to see Rod Stewart. Uh, should be a great show, as always. Also, I wanted to take time to announce uh, one of our guests, uh, Leah Moon, was on from Autism Families, Connecticut. And they're having their 8th anniversary gala and auction. It's Saturday, April 21st. And it's going to be at the Simsbury Inn from 7 to 10, uh, to 10 p.m. Uh, and it should be great. It's $75 per person. But that money goes to a great cause. And that is Autism Families, Connecticut. Uh, I think you'll see there's a lineup of stars who will be there. Uh, there's going to be celebrity auction and things such as that. So if you wish, get in touch with Autism Families, and uh, you can do that uh, by just Googling them and uh, going on the website. Also, you can uh, email Leah, L-E-A-H, at AutismFamiliesCT.org uh, to get your tickets. I always look forward to this show, and uh, this is uh, the time we sit down with Dr. Tanya Bilchik. Dr. Bilchik is a neurologist, a specialist in the area of headaches uh, and migraine headaches and, and generalized in treating headaches. She is the founder of the Hartford Headache Center, now known as the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center. Uh, Tanya, welcome back to the show. Um, let's talk a little bit, and um, let's talk about headaches in general. Uh, how do we define a headache? 
I mean, it's it's one of those things you th- you know it, but there are so many different types of headaches, and we always hear about people who have headaches. But can you talk a little bit about the different types of headache? Sure. Let's go back to basics. The most common headache that everybody has had at some stage of their life is something called a tension headache. A tension headache is generally not severe. It is moderate or mild. It's usually both sides of the head often described as squeezing and sometimes associated with neck pain. Usually goes away with an anti-inflammatory such as ibuprofen or naproxen and generally not disabling. Um, You can get chronic tension headaches which become disabling and uh, that makes things a little more complicated. So common headache, commonest headache type is a tension headache. Everybody's had one at some stage of their lives. The commonest headache that I see is actually not a tension headache. The commonest headache I see is a migraine headache. Migraine headaches are disabling headaches. They are moderately severe or severe, often described as one-sided. They're throbbing, they're pounding, they're going boom, 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 associated with very kind of specific symptoms, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, movement sensitivity, smell sensitivity, and often nausea and vomiting. So these are pretty disabling headaches. And again, if we're going back to definitions, the migraine headache lasts either 4 to 72 hours, except in kids when they're a little bit shorter. And about 15 to 18% of people with migraine actually have visual symptoms with their headaches. They get twinkly lights, they get flashing lights, they get a lot of visual aura symptoms, They can even have sensory aura symptoms, tingling in the fingers, numbness in the fingers, little confusion. So the commonest headache I see is migraine. And actually in my practice, the commonest migraine I see is something called chronic migraine, which is 15 or more headache days a month, and it becomes pretty disabling. More rare is a cluster headache. Anybody who has a cluster headache knows they are excruciatingly severe. It's like somebody sticking a red hot poker in your eye or drilling a hole into your head, cannot sit still, cannot move, severe, often having nasal stuffiness on the side of the headache, eye tearing on the side of the headache. Duration is usually about 15 minutes to about 180 minutes. They're also known as suicide headaches, and unusually in the headache world, these are more common in men than in women. So those are the kind of typical headache types that I see in my practice. Tanya, are we seeing more patients with headaches and is it because, I think we are, but I think the question becomes, is it because we're dying, we have better ways of diagnosing headache and instead of people just going home and suffering with them? Or do you think there's cha- there are changes in the environment, um, in what we do that increase more headaches? Well, I think that people are much more aware of headache and they are now very aware that they can get treatment. When I ask my patients, is there a family history of migraine? They'll go, no, I'll go, well, did anybody ever have to go to bed in your family with a headache with a wet cloth on their head? And they'll go, oh, yeah, my grandma was like that. So I think we're a lot more aware of headaches. So I don't think the frequency of migraine has changed specifically, but I do know that tension and stress and anxiety has become much more prevalent, and that is one of the largest headache triggers. So obviously with more stress, more anxiety, less sleep, computer use, kids, I see a lot of adolescents bending and using computers with bad posture. So in those circumstances, I think the frequency is increasing because of the environment and what we're doing with our bodies. Uh, you, you mentioned computers. 
you know, so many people are saying it's the light. It's the blue light from the computer. But you just mentioned something that I didn't think about, and that being their posture when using the computer or the iPad or whatever device they're using. Is it the light frequency? Because you and I both know there are people out there peddling glasses now. Well, I actually think it's both. I mean, the flickering lights can absolutely be a migraine trigger in people that have migraines. And certain wavelengths of light or cutting out certain wavelengths of lights may help reduce migraine. On the other hand, I'm seeing a lot of adolescents, young adults, even older people with what I call computer neck. They're rounded. They have very poor ergonomics. And one of my favorite questions to ask teenagers is, how do you study? Are you on your bed with your computer on your lap? How many hours a day do you spend texting? And classrooms have changed. Instead of everything being on a board in the front of the classroom, they now have iPads and computers. So I think ergonomics is really important. So that brings us to another class of headache that we didn't talk about, and that's called the cervicogenic headache or the postural headache related to just straining your neck muscles. Um, So let's talk about it. Okay. Is the best way to treat that with medication, physical therapy, occupational therapy, changing someone's workstation? All of the above. I actually much prefer doing the mechanical modifications or recommending those rather than putting people on medications because if you can treat the trigger, you may be able to improve your headaches. So with with kids and adolescents and people that use computers a lot, I say stop texting so much. Don't lie in your tummy with your head extended when you're studying. Don't lie in your bed with your computer on your lap. Use a straight-backed chair. Work on your posture. Get your shoulders back. Um, Physical therapy is wonderful. It helps strengthen all the muscles that are weakening with these poor posture and poor positions. And so physical therapy, occupational therapy, good ergonomics. A lot of companies actually have ergonomics and people that will work with workstations to make sure that they are properly set up to try and reduce these computer neck positions. You know, Tanya, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's what my patients like most about you is that uh, when I refer patients to your clinic and, and to see you, you spend enough time to find out what they do and how they do it so that you can avoid a medication. So it's not a question of, I went to the doctor, here's a prescription, get out of here. Um, You really go into that. And all my patients who come back to me say they've had a wonderful experience at um, the uh, ProHealth Hartford Headache Center. Well, thank you. Um, I'm going to give them phone numbers again, and then we're going to take another break. 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. We're going to take a break, and then we're back with Dr. Tanya Bilchik to talk about some of the new medications for migraine that you need to know about. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and I'm with my guest today, Dr. Tanya Bilchik. Dr. Bilchik is the medical director of the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center. Her phone number is 860-895-3133. The office is at 144 Main Street. If you want more information about Dr. Bilchik and all about her center, you can go to ProHealthMD.com. Tanya, since we've been doing this show, and you were one of my first guests, we've been talking about CGRP antagonists, calcitonin gene-related peptide antagonists. And 
I've had it in one of my slides as the future migraine for the last 10 years. And it has been kind of an epic story. So, and I hear in the next few months, we're finally going to have them on the market. So I'd like you to just talk about what they are and maybe take our listeners through some of this odyssey. Oh. And, and more importantly, how is it going to affect the treatment of migraine in the future? Okay, so let's start at the beginning. About 10 years ago, or even a little longer, they started testing a small molecule for CGRP. CGRP, as Dr. Lessie said, is calcitonin gene-related peptide. It's all over the body. It's a, a molecule that is a neuropeptide. It's also in the gut. It's all over the body. It has been found that CGRP is actually one of the active players in migraines. So this substance is released by the neurons, the nerve cells, at the beginning of a migraine and sets off the cascade of migraines. So it's very important. So the theory is, if you can block this chemical, you can block the migraines. So many years ago, they started looking at ways to block the either the release or where this molecule would bind on the nerves. And after many, many, many years and multiple different trials of oral medications, injectable medications, in May or June, they're actually going to launch a CGRP monoclonal antibody that will block the receptor for CGRP. So if you have a migraine, your CGRP is released, it will block that receptor to where the CGRP binds. Um, it sounds very complicated. These molecules are fairly big that block it, so therefore they have to be given by injection. So it's been a long road and lots of kind of trials and errors, but probably by the middle of this year, there will be an injectable medication once a month, once every three months, or by infusion that will actually reduce the migraine frequency. So it's the first time in migraine history that there's actually a migraine designer drug for migraine prevention. Up until now, we've borrowed everything. We've borrowed blood pressure meds, we've borrowed seizure meds, we've borrowed antidepressant meds, and we just discovered they worked in migraine prevention. Now we actually are having a designer migraine preventative that's going to become available fairly soon. Tanya, I, I guess one of the things that we think about with this is, is this going to be a game changer? Now, we've got a little, you're the inside track here because you've already been using these drugs uh, in your center as part of trials. So is this a game changer the way triptans were in 1993? Yes, I, I, I really hope so. So it works. It works. It works really nicely. And um, again, in trials, you always have a very strong placebo response. Right. Because especially in an injectable trial, so sometimes your placebo drug looks pretty good versus your actual drugs. So in the studies, they had to they had to show statistical significance against the placebo, which was also an injectable. So yeah, these drugs work, and when they work, they work fairly fast. And I've had patients in my studies that have had fifty percent reduction from chronic migraine. I'm thinking of one person who's actually a nurse. She had at least 15 to 20 migraine days a month. And on the study, her migraine days went down to seven to eight migraine days per month. And 
in her, the intensity of the migraines decreased. Now, fortunately for her, when she came off the study, her migraines have still remained at seven or eight a month, even though she's still not getting the medication. So in her case, I think it actually reset a clock or a migraine clock or whatever the migraine trigger is. That hasn't been the case in some of the other patients that were on the studies, but on the studies, most of my patients showed 50% headache reduction when they were on active drug, which is very, very exciting. Now, these are placebo-controlled studies? These are all double-blind placebo-controlled studies. So um, some of the patients got active drug at the beginning. Some of them got placebo at the beginning. But after several months on the study, everybody got open label. In other words, everybody knew that they were getting the medication. Right. And, and for I think our, that's exciting. Yeah. And for our listeners, that's the way science is done where you compare the drug or the treatment to a placebo. And you don't know the person who's administering the medication doesn't know if they're giving the drug or the placebo. So it's not one of those situations where somebody calls in, hey, I smoked a joint and my headache went away, so marijuana is good for headaches. Uh, that's that's not the case. Since we're on the subject, right. because people are always asking, hey, if I go buy some marijuana, will it get rid of my headaches? And the answer is? I have absolutely no idea because marijuana is not approved for headache in the state of Connecticut. Right. And it's so it's not an approved medication, and there's a reason for it. And many of the studies that we've heard about marijuana have not been double-blinded and placebo-controlled. The only one I know of is the one going on at St. Francis Hospital right now for chronic pain and rib fractures. Right. So these are the way studies are done. So, And actually, in marijuana and headache, you've got to be a little more aware that there is also a very rare complication causing what we call a thunderclap headache, sudden onset severe headache. And um, one of the causes of thunderclap headache is a very unusual uh, condition called reversible cerebrovasoconstriction syndrome, or RCVS. And that can be fairly fatal. So uh, it, there have been episodes or cases of RCVS in relationship to marijuana. So when I think of mar marijuana and headache, I am rather concerned about the possible side effects. Yeah. So the idea that it's harmless is, is not the case uh, by any means. Uh, with CGRP, it's going to be pretty expensive, right? Yes. Um, nobody knows quite yet how much these meds are going to cost. Um, the thought is it's probably going to be in the range of what Botox costs for chronic migraine, but we're really not sure. It's not out there yet, and there have been no no kind of prior warnings or um, – no discussions about the cost, and I'm sure that they are not going to be as cheap as some of the generics that we have available for migraine prevention that don't work all that well. So I'm sure patients that are going to need these medications are going to have to fail some of the generics before we're allowed to use them. You know, it's always interesting because with migraine, it's one of those conditions that keep you from performing. Correct. So in other words... People who go to work with a headache are not productive, or they can't go to work because of the headache. So you have to offset the cost of medication with the idea that this person now becomes productive. So it's not somebody who's going to sit home anyhow. It's someone who needs to get to work and do a job. 
And that was the big thing with the trip dance is because it allowed people to take a medication at work and not have to leave work. Exactly. I actually remember, you know, migraines before the trip dance were available, they were not any specific migraine medications. Um, people were using combination analgesics. They right. were using opiates. And absolutely, you know, we know that opiates do not work very well in migraine. And opiates and pain have become a significant problem. Uh, again, I'm glad you, you touched on the subject because we know that there's too much opiate use. We see patients who go to emergency rooms or go to a walk-in center and get an opiate for headache. Okay, so patients, let me put you on alert. It doesn't work. Yeah, opiates are not approved for headache. Fortunately for us, the triptan medications came out in 1992, three in injectable formulation and oral formulation in the mid-1990s. All the triptans that we talk about, sumatriptan, rizotriptan, elatriptan, et cetera, et cetera, triptan, um, most of the triptans are now available in generic formulation, and so the cost has gone down significantly. Right. We never, ever, ever use opiates and headache. So important, that's an important, if there's any piece of information that you gather from today's show, that's what you need to know, is that opiates don't work for migraine headache. Correct. With that, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back for our final segment with Dr. Tanya Bilchik, who is from the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. We're in our last segment with Dr. Tanya Bilchik. I'll give you um, her phone number again. Um, she is the medical director at the ProHealth Hartford Headache Center at 860-895-3133. Tanya, we touched a little bit on some of the newer therapies. One of the things um, that's getting a lot of press um, lately is neuromodulation. Now, neuromodulation we talked about a little bit on the show is the alteration of nerve activity with targeted administration of stimulus and that a stimulus and that could be electrical or chemical what do you think about neuromodulation in the treatment of headaches well there are actually several devices that are now available for treating migraine with external devices. And actually, there's one device that's approved. These are all things that are not implanted. There are also implanted devices, which are much more invasive. But the group that I'll talk about are not invasive. They're actually either applying a pulse or a magnetic frequency or an electric current or an electric stimulation to certain of the nerves in the head. So commercially, there is a device called a cephaly device, and it is, it's got two little electrodes that attach to the forehead just above where the eyebrow is, where there is a nerve running, and it is approved for migraine prevention by applying these little electrodes and this little device. It used to look like a headband. Now it looks like a half a headband. And 20 minutes every day, seems to be available uh, in some people helps migraine prevention. I don't think it's been as good in my kind of hands or my patients. So uh, it's an interesting device. And if it works, it's non-invasive. It's no medications. You sit and rest for 20 minutes with this device attached to your forehead. And it seems to help with migraine prevention. 
Um, there's another new device. It's called a Gamma Core, G-A-M-M-A-C-O-R-E. It's probably the size of an orange. It has two electrodes and it's actually placed near the vagus nerve. So it's a vagal nerve stimulator. And again, you apply the little current to the vagus nerve and that has been helpful in treating an acute headache. So this is for acute treatment of headache. It was initially approved for cluster headache and now it's approved for migraines. So that's another device that avoids taking medication and may be helpful. The third device is a device that is more, I think, using magnetic. I don't have experience with it, but you hold the device towards the back of your head and you hold it there for an acute migraine with aura. So those are the three devices that I know about. I'm sure there are more. Uh, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball because I didn't get to talk to you about this, but it's something we talked about on the show last week, and that is foreign accent syndrome. So an American woman uh, in Arizona, and I've had a couple of patients with this, uh, in Arizona, she went to bed with extreme headaches, uh, and this happens in, has happened in the past. She has a diagnosis of migraine, and then she wakes up speaking with a foreign accent. Um, and, and usually uh, it's a, an Australian or an Irish accent. But now, uh, this time, she woke up with a British accent that's lasted for two years. Now. Okay. I've seen it in people with uh, head trauma. I had one patient who spoke, who had never been to Louisiana, but had a Louisiana Cajun accent uh, when, uh, after getting hit in the head and having a fairly serious head injury. So we've seen it in stroke. We've seen it in head trauma. But this is the first time I've ever heard of it in relation to migraine. Have you ever had a patient with that? I have never had a patient, and um, the only thing I know about foreign accents is I usually speak in a foreign accent. I, well, we know. So, And actually, Kevin Felice was on last week, and he said, that's a perfect question for Dr. Bilchik. So, Yeah, uh, Dr. Bilchik has fortunately not had a patient, and I wouldn't know where the lesion would be in the brain. Well, with that, uh, another medical marvel. Let's move on. Um, we mentioned head trauma, post-concussive migraine headache. Now, I deal with concussion in athletes who often have migraine to start with, get hit in the head, migraines get worse. We start treating it. Some didn't know they had migraine before uh, and get hit in the head, have migraine, you treat the migraine. Right. You treat the migraine, you treat the headache. If you have a post-concussive headache and it looks like a migraine and it acts like a migraine, you treat it like a migraine. It doesn't matter whether it was caused by a concussion or whether it was caused by genetics. Treat it the same way. So the problem here is that in some people, now there's athletes and then there are motor vehicle accidents. Right. Right. And, and then, soldiers. And soldiers. But the problem here is is that when you're treating the headache, you're treating migraine that they may have had before. Right. How much of an implication is the head injury? Because I tell patients, your concussion has cleared. Those symptoms are better. We're now treating a migraine. And it's not got, this does not mean you're going to have CTE or one of these other neuropsychiatric problems um, with that. Is that true? Well, you know, you tr I see a lot of post-concussion headaches. And the con as you said, the concussion symptoms go away, the dizziness, the confusion, the imbalance, and people are left with residual headaches. 
and it may be that they land up having headaches forever. They may have uncovered a migraine. If you've got a family history of migraine and you have a concussion, you're more likely to have post-concussive migraine. If you have migraine before your concussion, again, the headaches that you have after the concussion are probably migraine as well. And migraines are not uncommon after blast injuries in the military. Um, You mentioned motor vehicle accidents. The headaches that I typically see after a motor vehicle accident are usually more related to the neck. And usually it's more of a cervicogenic headache or a muscle contraction tension type headache rather than a migraine. I think, you know, with a concussion versus a whiplash, the concussion is more likely to cause a whiplash. I mean, sorry, the concussion is more likely to cause a migraine type headache. The whiplash is more likely to cause a cervicogenic type headache. But once we treat the headaches, what I guess my point is that people can go back to being productive. For example, if I treat their migraine... They can go back to playing football. I, I don't. It's not going to change anything, That's and uh, yeah. shouldn't Im- impact their careers overall. Absolutely. I had a young eighteen-year-old that I saw a week ago um, in follow-up, and I'd seen him previously in January, and he had a history of migraine. His mom is also a patient of mine. She has migraine. He had his concussion. He had post-concussive symptoms. Post-concussive symptoms went away in about two weeks, and his headaches just weren't getting better. He had to take a semester off from school. He's back. He went back to school in January. His headaches have decreased significantly, but he still has a history of migraine. He still has occasional migraine. But it's not going to impair him playing sport. It's not going to impair him doing any academics. In fact, he told me he's getting all A's. These are great stories because people have to understand that this migraine is a treatable condition. Absolutely. And um, I wholeheartedly uh, endorse people getting over to see you over at the Pro Health Hartford Headache Center. You do great work. It's a multidisciplinary approach to headache. And uh, I just want to thank you once again uh, for being so loyal and coming on the show and everything you do for my patients. Thank you. Um, this has been uh, absolutely phenomenal. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, um, we are going to be using taped shows. I'm going to be away at spring training, as I do with the New York Yankees every year. So we have some shows ready for you uh, that uh, Mike Olko, who's on the board today, is going to be using for you. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com.